morning. We're so glad you're joining us. I say good morning. I got an email from a friend in, in uh, England this week who's watching it. And so good evening uh, uh, to you if you're in a different part of the world. But here in Houston, where we're live streaming from, it is morning. So good morning. It's 11 o'clock. It's time to get rolling on our biblical study while living with coronavirus. Now, be warned, at the end of class... We will play our final Phil Keggy Beatles Corona parody. And so that will come at the end of class. But before we get to that, we're still on that road to Emmaus where Jesus was explaining to two of his followers uh, the, the Old Testament scriptures that spoke about not only Jesus, but the necessity of his death and his resurrection. And so that was a conversation that happened, and we've been looking at some of those Old Testament stories. We're going to be looking at another one today. We're going to look at the story of Jonah. Now, I love to fish, and I love to catch big fish, and I don't do it that often, uh, uh, catch big fish, that is. Actually, I don't fish that often either, but I really enjoy it. And one of these days, I'm going to catch something big. But in the meanwhile, I need to tell you about a fear that I have. My fear is about teaching on Jonah. Now, I'm not afraid of the fish. That's not my fear. My fear stems from the fact that in the summer of 1980, so that's uh, heaven's. 40 years ago, I preached a Sunday night sermon on Jonah. And I I preached my heart out. I gave it the best I could. I preached about Jonah going to Tarshish. I preached about Jonah in the belly of the whale. I preached about him then getting spit up and going to Nineveh and having a frustrating time with God and repentance of the city. And afterwards, I was eager to to find out if my message had resonated. And so I had a couple of people at that church that I trusted to give me honest feedback. And one of them was the secretary to the preacher. And and I said to her, I said, Donna, did, did, did that sermon resonate at all? And she said to me, I thought the sermon was fantastic. The only negative I can give you is you called Jonah Noah, the entire sermon. So I was there teaching about Noah in the belly of the the fish for three days and three nights. I was there teaching about Noah going to Nineveh. I was there. And as a result, I've got a real complex and fear about speaking about Jonah. And I just want to warn you now, I will probably call him Noah At least half the time I go through here, it is in my brain. I can't get rid of it. The circuits have just crossed, and that's the way it is. Now, if you were live in the chapel with us, we could look up into the third set of of arches as we come in here, and you would see the picture that I'm putting. Actually, Brent will give you an idea as he scans. Very good, Brent. Very well done. Um, scans the ceiling. But here's the picture that you would get if you zoomed in. That is the story of Jonah, not Noah. (laughs) Chapter 1 is at the start. 
Chapter 2 is bottom left, and chapters 3 and 4 are bottom right. If you don't catch the story, that's okay. We're going to read it together. But first, a warning. Jonah is not, N-O-T, not a textbook for ichthyology. See, ichthyology. What is ichthyology? That is the study of fish. Do not base this as uh, your understanding of this as a science textbook on how fish work and how you're going to breathe underwater in the belly of a fish for three days. Or what fish is big enough to swallow you and keep you in the belly of the fish for three days before regurgitating you without stomach acid having done much of anything to you that would have put your life beyond repair. That is not what this book is about. So if you read this as an ichthyology textbook, you're going to miss God's theology, which is in there. Now, that brings to mind a lot of people who want to ask the question, well, do you believe it literally happened? I'll tell you, I can give you my personal opinion as to whether or not Jonah was literally swallowed by a real fish and lived for three days underwater. I can give you my opinion, but my opinion really doesn't matter because that's not what the story is asking us to understand. There is no question the only way Jonah survives in this story is through a miracle of God not through science. Did God do that miracle? Or is the story there as a prophetic parable almost for its other statements about God? You can settle on either side of that divide, fine. The key is to understand what the message is, the theology as opposed to the ichthyology. And that's what we're going to try and do. So I want to do it in three points. Here's your roadmap for today. Three points from this story. Number one, the storyline itself. Then second, we'll look at a couple of the themes in the story. And then third, we'll look at Jonah and Jesus. Now, I got to warn you. This book in the Old Testament, Brent and I were talking about this before class started. It's short. I mean, it's like four verse, four chapters, like 48 verses or something, about 12 verses per chapter. It's real short, short, short. This book is one of, I'm looking at my kids for a minute. They have to remember this stuff because I'll die one day and they'll need to say some things at the funeral. This book is one of my three favorite books in the Old Testament. It may be my favorite book. And not because it's got a storyline that we learn about when we're very young at church or at school or whatever. And and you learn that story of Jonah and the whale or the big fish. By the way, the Hebrew doesn't say if it's a whale or not. Uh, The Hebrew didn't have words that talked about the different kinds of fish other than fish that are clean and fish that are unclean. So this was a clean fish, but that's all. Um, It's a dog in Hebrew, D-A-G, just a fish. So this is one of my favorite books. And one of the reasons why is because it's loaded with Hebrew puns. But a second reason is because 
instead of just being in your face with a direct statement, like Paul says, don't do this, or the Ten Commandments say, don't do that, or Paul says, do this, or, you know, God says, do that. Instead of just being direct and in your face, this has got themes, and when you read those themes and you follow the thread of those through the tapestry of the the book, you learn lessons that are really meaningful and direct but you do it through the themes not just through an in-your-face shouting of the message which I kind of like so with that let's look at the storyline that's where we're going to begin and the storyline begins with a reference to this town called Nineveh Nineveh this is an actual artist recreation that the British Museum puts out because it's fairly accurate for what Nineveh would have looked like. A beautiful, amazing city. And uh, that's where we start with Jonah. This is such a short book that we're going to spend a lot of time just reading it. So here it is. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now, Jonah... Yonah means dove. And doves in the Bible could be a good messenger. Uh, uh, Noah, I'm using it right here, Noah sends out a dove to find out it's okay to disembark from the ark. Um, God descends as a dove, the Holy Spirit as a dove to pronounce Jesus uh, as his son in whom he is well pleased at the baptism of Jesus. Um, Doves are often used as good messengers, but doves can also have an opposite significance. So in another minor prophet, the dove is considered to be mindless or senseless. And that's what Jonah's got. If you were a Hebrew reading this back in the day, you would say, huh, wonder what kind of dove he is. Is he a sensible dove? Or a senseless dove. He's got a choice. But it's Jonah, dove, the son of Amittai. Amittai uh, means Yahweh, God, is met. He's faithful. He's uh, steadfast. He's trustworthy. So here you've got the dove who's the son of a man whose name declares the trustworthiness and faithfulness of God. So the word of the Lord comes to him and it says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before for me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid him the fare. He went on board to go with him to Tarshish to get away from the presence of the Lord. Now, it's map time. Let's uh, put up a map of the Middle East if we can here. This is a good satellite view, perhaps, of the Middle East. Because you need to understand what was happening here. So I've put the key here for Jaffa. Jaffa or Joppa in the Old Testament today. It's called Jaffa. It's a port of Israel uh, right outside Tel Aviv. And so 
uh, he goes, he's told, now he's over here in Israel, he's told to get up and to walk, that's the, the literal verb that's to go means to walk, to Nineveh. Nineveh is up here. It's off the Tigris River. So he's told to walk to Nineveh. Now, actually, that's not the way he'd have walked. That's across a bunch of desert. But you walk up and over like that. He's told to do that. Instead, he gets on a boat headed for Tarshish. Tarshish scholars debate, but it's most likely right there at the edge of the known world as far away as possible from where he's supposed to go. Some scholars put it over here in Carthage, but Tarshish seems to be right there on the coast of Spain after you go through the Straits of Gibraltar. So that's Jonah. That's our dove. He's the senseless one here. What happens? So Yahweh, the Lord, hurls a great wind upon the sea. There's a mighty storm on the sea, and the ship threatened to break up. By the way, that's a pun in the Hebrew as well. In the, not a pun, but a play on the word. Uh, the ship uh, is, is actually threatening. It's, it's doing something an inanimate object can't do. It's, it's a, 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 one Jewish translator translate, the ship was a nervous wreck um, because it's about to break it. But it, it's like the ship has a mind of its own. And the ship says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tear apart. I'm going to wreck. I'm going to break up if you don't do something about it. So then the mariners were afraid. And each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship. And he laid down and he was fast asleep. Greatly asleep. The Hebrew is uh, 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 like a deep sleep. Uh, the, the, the Jews who translated this into Greek 200 years or so before Jesus uh, wanted to uh, get across in Greek the, the depth of, of how Jonah was sleeping. And so they even added a couple of words. They said he was asleep and snoring. There's a deep sleep. So the captain comes and he says to Jonah... What do you mean? Sleeper? Get up and call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Now, we're talking themes. I, I, I love the themes here. Look at what we've already seen. Um, let's go green with these themes. So, God says to Jonah, arise, means get up. Jonah arises, same word there, it's just translated rose. But while God said for him to get up and go to 
one direction, he gets up and goes to the other. Now he's fast asleep, and so the captain has to say to him, get up. It's his second call to get up. Call out to your God. Maybe he'll save us. So, now, the sailors are all talking about each other, and they said, look, we've got to cast lots so we can know who's at fault here. Someone's at fault. So they threw the dice, cast the lots, whatever it was, and lo and behold, it falls on Jonah. So they said, all right, fess up. Tell us on whose account this evil's come upon us. What do you do for a living? What's your job? And where, where, where do you come from anyway? What's your country? What, who are your people? And Jonah says, well, I'm, I'm a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord. Now, if you were here last week or in many of my classes, we discussed how when you see Lord in all capital letters like this, it's actually Yahweh, Yahweh in Hebrew, which is the name of God, okay? So this is the name of God, Yahweh. He says, I fear Yahweh, who is the God, that's just the common Hebrew word for God, of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now we've got to pause for a moment, and let me explain this. The pagans at the time of Jonah believed that there were lots of gods. They had no trouble with the idea of like gazillions of gods. And different gods had different domains. Areas where that they, they were God over this or God over that. And so there might be someone who's... And think about it with the Greek mythology, though it's even more true with those cultures of pagans in the Israelite area, uh, Middle East. But, but you know how Poseidon or Neptune is considered, whether it's Latin or Greek, is considered the god of the ocean. And you've got Apollo, who's the god of the, the, the sun. And you've got, you know, Athena, the goddess of war. And you've got Zeus, who's the father of all. And you've got, you know, and, and you go north to Norway, you've got Thor, the thunder god. You know, gods have different dominions and territories. And so the, the, the people would have no trouble with the idea that, that Jonah is getting on their boat because he's fleeing from the presence of Yahweh, who's his God. And they think of probably Yahweh is some mountain God who's got some control over <clears throat> the mountains in and around Jerusalem or something like that. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, that's fine. He's going to run away from his God. His God's limited there. By the way, this is why when some armies fought other armies, they, and kings were deemed to be representatives of the gods. It said the gods were fighting as well. So uh, Jonah's fleeing. They say, wake up. Uh, what, what, what are you doing? Who are you? What's your job? Where do you come from? He says, look, I'm a Hebrew. And yeah, I'm fleeing from Yahweh. But now go back to this for a moment. Look at it again. He says, I'm fleeing from Yahweh, who's the God of heaven. But what's more, he's not just the God of heaven who made the sea. That's the extra. I'm fleeing from the God who made the sea and the dry land. And at this point, 
These people who were afraid before are now exceedingly afraid. And they said to him, um, you're an idiot. That's a Lubbock translation. Uh, the way they put it here in the English Standard Version is, um, what have you done? For the men knew he was fleeing from the presence of Yahweh. He told them that. So they said, well, what are we going to do to you? So that the sea will quiet down for us because the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Jonah says, uh, just throw me in. Then the sea will quiet down for you. I know it's because of me that this huge storm's come upon you. Now, the men, these are good guys. They're rowing hard to get back to dry land. It's just not making any progress. The sea is growing more and more tempestuous against them. So finally, they call out to Yahweh. See, it's Yahweh again there. This is their first time. They've been calling out to their gods. But now they're kind of like, our gods aren't helping. He's ticked off Yahweh. We need to ask Yahweh for help. So the pagans start praying to the one true God. We go back to the Ipebo. You can see their prayer. Oh, Yahweh. Don't kill us because of this Yehu. And don't blame us for killing him. You, Yahweh, clearly do whatever you please. And so with that, they picked up Jonah and threw him overboard. And the sea stopped. It's raging. And then... The men feared Yahweh exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to Yahweh and made vows. It was a conversion moment for them. I mean, at first they're afraid of the sea, and then they're greatly afraid of the sea. And then finally this theme of fear comes around, and they are afraid of Yahweh. And that causes them to change their lives. It's amazing. So, back to the text. A great, the, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, I got to tell you a secret here. This fish, the word for fish, dog here, you've got it here and you've got it here. It's a masculine fish. That is masculine, all right? It's not feminine. It's the masculine form of fish in both places. Masculine. So, Jonah prays to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Now, all of a sudden, fish here is feminine. It's a female fish. So you've got the shift here. A great belly of a male fish swallows him. And now you've got a reference to him being in the belly of a female fish. Huh. Things that make you go, huh. Now, 
Historically, this has really perplexed people who seem to be reading the story but not reading the story. And so you can find in the Middle Ages these Jewish and Christian scholars who look at this and say, well, what must have happened was uh, God appointed the male fish to swallow him, but then while he's in the male fish, God's about to go to work on him, so he miraculously transfers him over to a female fish. Then you got some people who say, well, clearly the text has just been messed up somewhere along the way, and the dog becomes a daga, and, and it's just, uh, you know, scribal error. No, I don't think either of those work. I've got an excellent reason. The male fish becomes a female fish for chapter two. And I'm going to tell it to you later in this lesson. So chapter two, Jonah prays to the Lord his God from the belly of the female fish. He calls out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. And it goes on and on. You cast me into the deep. The flood surrounds me. Your waves and billows, etc. So what happens at the end of this? After that psalm, song at the end of chapter 2, the Lord speaks to the fish and it vomits Jonah out onto the dry land. Now, Jonah's still got a ways to go. He's about 400 miles from Nineveh. But uh, uh, Nineveh is about 400 miles inland, but be that as it may. Then the word of the Lord, Yahweh, comes to Jonah a second time. This is a do-over. Arise. Again, get up. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah got up, he went to Nineveh, according to the word of Yahweh. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. It took three days to walk across it. That's true. Archaeology has shown it to be just a magnificent city. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey. And he called out, in 40 days Nineveh is going to be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Now, we know when Jonah lived. Jonah lived in the 760, 770 B.C. range. And at that time, if we go back to the map for just a moment, one of the biggest world empires was Assyria. Not to be confused with modern Syria. Assyria was a world empire that range, whoops, that ranged in this area where I've drawn the green. And its capital city at the time was Nineveh. But this was a massive empire. Israel, they used to pay tribute to the Assyrians. But this was a time when Assyria was weaker than it had been for hundreds and hundreds of years. It was not only weaker than it had been, but um, historians are able to date the Assyrian kings by going to old Assyrian records and determining that right about this time, Assyria experienced a full eclipse from like 9.30 in the morning till noon. 
the sun disappears. It was a 97% total eclipse in Nineveh. And that was not seen as something that the Ninevites, the Assyrians, were not great astrophysicists who said, oh, isn't this interesting? We are at that place in the orbit around the, the sun where the moon has intervened during the middle of the day and it's blocking part of the sun. No, to them this was an omen. The gods were upset. They turned out the lights during the daytime. So you've got Nineveh, and not only that, but during this same time period, for about 10 years, the plague breaks out twice and devastates the town. So they've got a weak king. They've got the plague breaking out twice, actually in seven years. They've got the sun going black. And then Jonah shows up and starts saying, God is not pleased with you and he's going to destroy your city if you don't do something and repent in the next 40 days so back to the there you go so this word reaches the king of Nineveh and he arose all these people are rising from his throne he removes his robe covers himself with sackcloth sits in ashes He issues a proclamation and publishes it through Nineveh and says, by the decree of the king and his nobles, nobody tastes anything, no food, no drink, no water, be covered with sackcloth and call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and the violence in his hands. And who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so we don't perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster he said he would do to them, and he didn't do it. Now, Jonah, meanwhile, is ticked off. This displeased Jonah exceedingly. It was mad. He was angry. And he prayed to Yahweh. And he says, Oh, Yahweh, isn't this what I told you when I was in my country? This is why I tried to go to Tarshish. I know you. You're gracious. You're merciful. You're slow to anger. You're abounding in steadfast love. And you're relenting from disaster. By the way, Jonah prophesied while Jeroboam II was on the throne. Jeroboam II was an evil king in Israel. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And God was having mercy on Israel. He wasn't visiting a disaster upon them. Although Jonah did say it was coming if they didn't repent. And it did. But Jonah at this point is kind of like, man, you're you're cutting them slack. And I'm supposed to get up and haul all the way to Nineveh? And and I just knew you were going to do this. this. I just knew it was coming, God. So he says, therefore... Oh, Lord, go ahead and take my life. I'd just rather die than go through all this stuff. God said, "Um, are you, like, doing okay? Do, Do you do well to be angry? Is this really fitting? So Jonah goes out of the city. He sits to the east. He makes a booth for himself, and he sits there under the shade till he can't see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant... And made it come up, arise, 
over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head. Now, this kind of pleased Jonah. He was glad about that. But then dawn came the next day, and God appointed a worm. And the worm attacked the plant, so it withered. And then God put a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on that bald head of Jonah the snorer. So he was faint. And he said, said, asked he might die, and said, look, this is it, man. I'd rather die than live. And Jonah said, I mean, God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry over the plant? He said, yeah, I do well to be angry. I'm angry enough to die. And God said, you pity the plant for which you didn't labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there's more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left, not to mention all the animals? And boom, the story's over. That's it. One of the only two books in the whole Bible to end on a question. That's it. Now, that's the story. We don't have a lot of time, but we need to get moving beyond that. So let's move past the story to the PowerPoint. We see next a couple of themes. The first theme I want us to see are the ups and downs. Because here's here's what happens. If you go back and you look at the story, over and over and over in the story are these words that reference up and down. If it's arise, he rises, he's supposed to... You know, the evil of the people has come up before God. That means it's risen to God's face. Uh, uh, That's literally what it it means. Uh, I rewrote these first two verses, or verses two and three, into Mark Lanier's translation. So this is my translation for what it's worth. Legitimate translation. I just used some alternate meanings for the words. All right. Get up. Walk to Nineveh and call out over it. You get up and you call out over it. So you're over it because you got up. And do that because it's evil has come up to my face. So what I've tried to do is emphasize, if you're reading this in the Hebrew, the, the ups. Get up, call out over it because it's evil has come up to my face. So then what does Jonah do? Jonah got up. But he fled to Tarshish from before the face of God. He said, I'm just going to get out of God's presence. I'm going to flee from his face. And he goes down instead of up. So God says, get up, go up. I want you to do these things. Up, up, up. Come up with me. The evil's in front of my face. It's up here. I need you to get over it and I need you to speak it down. And instead, what Jonah does is the exact opposite. He goes down. He goes down to Joppa. He goes down to Tarshish. And if you were reading the Hebrew with me and we were reading it carefully and we had time, we'd look through it. But over and over it says, and he goes down into the hold of the ship to sleep. And then when the ship starts going down, they throw him, no Jonah, down into the water. And then he goes down into the water and he's eaten by a fish. And then he goes down into the belly of the fish. And then the fish goes down into the water. 
And everything is down, 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 down until finally God causes the fish to spit him up. And then God gives him the do-over. He says, now I want you to get up, arise, and go up to Nineveh because in my face is their evil which has come up and I need you to be over it. And he does. And the town turns around. Here's your lesson from this. If we go back to the PowerPoint. On this theme, if you read the theme carefully, the theme teaches you something. It teaches you the wise person's not going to wait for rock bottom to turn to God. We, we don't need to hit rock bottom before we turn to God. We need to turn to God before rock bottom. But it also teaches us that even if you've hit rock bottom, when you cry out to God, he restores you. The God who is there at the beginning is the God who is there when you're at rock bottom. And it's so funny to me to read these puns in the Hebrew because in the Hebrew it says, God says, the evil has risen up to my face. So Jonah's response is, I'm, instead of getting up over the evil, I'm going to flee from the face of God. But that means he's going down, 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 down. Don't run from God. Don't run from his presence. Don't run. You're not going to be successful anyway. I mean, as the psalm says, where shall I flee from your presence? It doesn't matter where I go. God's face is there. So um, within the framework of this, don't wait for rock bottom in your life to turn to God. If you're at rock bottom, still turn to God. He is there, and he's the God of do-overs. Next thing. Whose God is he? Is he mine? Is he yours? Is God the God of the Americans? Specifically, white Protestants? Is God the God of immigrants? Could God actually love people who live in other countries or who have a different skin color than I do? I mean, when I picture God, isn't he white? Wasn't Jesus a Protestant? Jesus may have been the first American citizen. You know, heaven forbid you think that Jesus might have been a different skin color. Like most Middle Easterners were at the time. And still are. Heaven forbid that Jesus might not have been an American citizen. God is not yours. And God is not mine. God is everybody's. He wasn't just the God of Israel. He had the people in Nineveh. He cared for the 120,000. He wanted them to repent. He didn't want to visit disaster upon him. This is the God that we serve. Now, I could go through these themes exhaustively with you. I could list theme after theme after theme and some great lessons from those themes. The theme of fear is fantastic in what it has to teach in this book. There are all sorts of themes in the book. 
But I want to leave the themes in the last few minutes that I've got here because I want to instead talk about Jonah and Jesus. Because here's the key. And this is why you've got to read Jonah more carefully than just as a book on ichthyology. If you do, you'll read that Jonah was dead in that fish. The book's not saying Jonah was in there breathing and, and playing uh, tickle the fish from the inside and all the other games people play when they're swallowed by a fish. Look at what this prayer is from Jonah. Here's chapter 2. This is from the belly of the feminine fish now. I called out to Yahweh out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. Sheol is feminine. The belly of Sheol is feminine. That's why the shift to a feminine fish. He's dead. Sheol is death. Sheol is where dead people went under the Old Testament understanding at the time of Jonah. It was in the underworld. It's below the land. It's either in the waters or it's below the waters, depending upon who you're reading, when, where, and how. But Sheol is the place of the dead from which no one escapes. Jonah says, I was dead. Jonah is crying out from where dead people go. This should not be a study of uh, how did God manage to keep him alive? Did he hold his breath for three days and three nights with no brain damage? No, that's not what the story is. The story is he's dead. Look at this. If we go back to the text, out of the belly of Sheol, the place where dead people go. I cried and you heard my voice. You'd cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. Look, all your waves and billows, the judgment of God passed over me. I'm driven from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. I got weeds wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. The roots of the mountains, what's below the mountains, that's where hell, Sheol was in their thinking. He's saying, man, I'm dead. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. No one escapes death yet you brought up my life from the pit all right so if we understand that Jonah's dead those three days and three nights now look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13 12 
Some of the scribes and Pharisees said, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Show us a miracle. And he said, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, Sheol, death, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation. They'll condemn it. The men of Nineveh, that's the city where Jonah went to preach. That's the city that converted their, their, in, in repentance to God. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Why? Jesus didn't just preach to Nineveh. Jesus died for Nineveh. Jesus didn't just preach to these people that were ignoring him, challenging him, ultimately killing him. He died for these people. And he says, Jonah is a sign for you. He says it again in Matthew 16. The Pharisees and Sadducees come to test Jesus. They ask him for a sign from heaven. He said to them, when the evening... When it's evening and you say it'll be fair weather because the sky is red and in the morning it'll be stormy today because the sky is red and threatening, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky. But you can't interpret the signs of the times. No sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. Jonah, by the way, was from a town called Gath Heifer. It's about five miles from Nazareth where Jesus grew up. Uh, Jonah and Jesus hearkened from the same area. But the difference is Jonah was disobedient. Jonah tried to flee from God's presence. And Jonah threw a hissy fit when his preaching worked. Jesus was dedicated to God's mission, arose... The dove testified to Jesus at the baptism of Jesus, but the dove, Jonah, testified to Jesus at the death of Jesus. God's able to take the Jonah story and gave fair warning to the people. Look, this is, um, uh, I know I'm going long, but this is, uh, I'll finish here in a moment. Go to the PowerPoint, that'll help me get through faster. Something greater than Jonah was there. This story of Jonah is why the early church painted it on their tombs in the Roman catacombs. I've got a picture from the early 300s here of a tomb. If you look at this picture on the PowerPoint, you'll see on the, as you're looking at the screen, the left side, you'll see that's Jonah and the, being thrown overboard off of the, the ship with the fish up there ready to grab him. Down in the bottom in the middle, you've got Jonah lying underneath the plant. On the right side, you've got Jonah engulfed by the fish. But do you know who you see in the center? Jesus, the good shepherd, holding the sheep. Because all of those pictures point to Jesus, the resurrected one. 
Jesus is the one who would die for three days and three nights and be resurrected by the power of God miraculously to move people to repentance and to faith in God. Jesus is the true one who is the son of, of God, the steadfast one, Ben Amitai. If we don't understand the prophetic nature. By the way, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul even says Jesus had to die, buried, resurrected on the third day as is prophesied in Scripture. Where does it say Jesus is going to be resurrected on the third day? Only one place in Scripture. Jonah. I mean, it, it, the, the New Testament is laced with layers of, of interesting over this. Look, Peter goes to uh, Joppa, the launching place for Jonah. Peter goes to Joppa in Acts chapter 9, and that's where God says to him, he has a dream. And in the dream, a sheet comes down. It's got clean and unclean animals. And God says, eat. And he says, well, I'm not going to eat the unclean animals. And God said, don't you call anything I made unclean. And Peter awakens and God sends him to Caesarea Maritima to the house of Cornelius to preach to the first Gentile convert. So that Joppa, that point where Jonah flees instead of preaching to the pagans, is a point where Peter gets the same message and goes to preach to the pagans. It's beautiful. So here's where we are. I need to play for you Phil Keggy's final Beatles song. But before I do it, I want to I suggest something to you. Um, if you want to email us, info at LanierFoundation.org. Uh, there is a marvelous 15-page treatise almost on resurrection and life that uh, David's prepared for folks who might be interested in it and... and, and uh, uh, David is the head of spiritual development at our, our foundation, and this is just fantastic. Talks about uh, uh, how people believe in life after death, who does, who doesn't, different faiths, and just talks about the many passages, and he talks about how the biblical development of the understanding grew from just Sheol being the dead place to an understanding of eternal life that Jesus comes to offer for people. And, and so if you want that, we're glad to email it to you. Just email us, info at LanierFoundation.org. You can get the Life After Death Treatise. We'll also, by the way, if you want it, send you a website that the British Museum put together on Nineveh. It's got pictures. It explains some of the games of Nineveh, what life would have been like in Nineveh at the time of Jonah and that area. So we're glad to send you that website as well. Also, if you want to email us at wantmore at biblical-literacy.org. That's our website affiliated with our church, Champion Forest Baptist Church. You can email us, and we will be glad to put you on our internet class list, which means we'll send you announcements and videos and things that we do that are class-related in our ministry. So with that, let me bless you, and then this will be our final Phil Keggy Beatles parody song. Uh, I feel like I've... Uh, gotten Phil to wear out their catalog and so uh, we might get more Phil Keggy songs later but this does us for Corona I'm almost tired of talking about it so let me pray with you father thank you for the chance to explore your scriptures 
Thank you for the beauty of your word, the way you've connected the dots together historically to point to that beautiful resurrection picture in Jesus, but also, Lord, to point to the way you minister to us in our lives. Help us be responsive to you, to seek you out, not flee from your presence. In Jesus, amen. So here you go, Phil Keggy. Yesterday, coronavirus seemed so far away. Now it seems as though it's here to stay. Oh, how I miss our yesterday. Suddenly, I'm now wondering where my mask could be. Sometimes I feel a complacency. Oh, yesterday I was so free. Why? Goodbye.